Innocence or guilt is irrelevant. To William Thompson this was no epiphany, but an unwilling metamorphosis to acceptance. He reminded himself that he'd be free in a year, but it did little to temper his anger. The frigid air in the dark helicopter cabin continuously drained the heat from his body, and he clenched his jaws to keep his teeth from chattering, but a deeper coldness, a weave of anger, fear, and sadness encroached upon him as they neared their destination. It was this edgy foreboding, and the intuition that time was running short on something that had disturbed him ever since the sentencing. Far below, streetlights twinkled like stars as tree branches and other obstacles flickered through his line of view, and frozen lakes appeared as voids of black in an otherwise glittering landscape of life. The cars on the streets seemed to crawl from that altitude, and Will found himself wishing he was in one of them, any of them, and that he was another person. From five thousand feet the building that was their destination resembled a colossal computer chip embedded in a matrix of illuminated streets, and it loomed more and more menacing as they approached the landing pad on its roof. Will wrung his numbed hands, relieved that the four-hour journey was finally coming to an end. He then scraped frost from the window and looked closely as they circled to come in from the north. The color of the building was a deep red, a blood red. Will rested his forehead against the cold, vibrating window, and wondered if he could get himself to jump from the roof of the building if the opportunity arose. Never in his forty years of life had he considered suicide, but he now understood how humiliation and shame could drive a man to such an extreme. His legs suddenly twitched, causing his foot to kick the seat in front of him. He knew it wasn't the cold that triggered the spasm, but rather the anxiety that bound him like a coiled spring. Even though he knew no specific details, he was convinced that the treatment would be unpleasant. Will's head jerked sharply as the chopper bounced down on the roof of the thirty-story building. Once the aircraft settled, the pilot shut down the engines and tapped the co-pilot on the shoulder. The man responded by pushing a button on the control panel and cupping the helmet-mounted microphone in front of his mouth. Marion Prison, this is MP-101, he said. We have arrived at the Detroit facility. The package will be delivered shortly. We'll fuel up at Detroit Metro for the return trip. Our ETA is 4.20. Roger that, MP-101. Keep us informed. A man's voice replied over a background of scratchy static. Will heard the chopper's rotors slow down to what was probably a safe speed. The four men who comprised his escort detail opened the sliding doors on the starboard side of the passenger cabin and climbed down to the roof. The largest of the prison guards reached back into the cabin, unlocked one side of Will's handcuffs from a steel eyelet on the seat, and clamped it on his own wrist. Let's go, asshole, the guard ordered over the decaying whine of the engine. Will said nothing. The anxiety for what was coming, that which had caused his muscles to tremor like high-tension cables, was stronger than any anger those men could summon in him. Besides, he was so cold he wasn't sure whether he could get his mouth to form words. His jaw seemed to be locked in the closed position. Will stood up slowly, ducked his head and shoulders under the doorframe, and jumped to the ground three feet below, where he landed heavily. The rest of the men immediately surrounded him, acting with extreme caution, as they always had when handling him. They were larger, both individually and in number. 
but Will sensed they still felt threatened. He didn't blame them. He'd nearly killed a giant of a man while in prison. Until a little more than a year ago, he reflected, he'd never assaulted anyone. Will realized that being handcuffed to the oversized guard whose badge read, Hank Tritt, MP number 2119, extinguished any hope of running for the edge of the roof. Although he could probably drag the Neanderthal over the edge, he hadn't reached the point where he'd be willing to take an innocent man down with him. The guards led him out from the shelter of the helicopter, and Will's feet were so numb he couldn't sense the ground beneath him. The only indication of his own movement was the squeaking sound his shoes made on the hard-packed snow, a noise that made him feel even colder.